This is Deacon Will Rooney, and before we start today's episode, I wanted to make a quick announcement um, regarding uh, the whole situation of coronavirus in light of the virtues and the vices that we've been talking about. You know, uh, we recorded this episode about two weeks ago, and it, it the coronavirus thing had kind of started, um, and we saw a lot of, uh, of stuff kind of getting ramped up, but none of us really knew exactly what was going to happen in the past two weeks. And as we've progressively been asked to do more and more stuff to help keep people safe and help uh, lower the curve, as it were, of the spread of the virus, um, we've experienced a new a new time in our, our world, something that um, certainly I've never experienced before in my life um, as a young person. But I think the message that we have of uh, striving for virtue is a message that we need uh, to take to heart, especially in such hard times. It's particularly in a hard time, in a difficult moment where virtue can be uh, can be grown. Um you know, we think about uh, the many examples of uh, healthcare professionals who are working very hard um, and very virtuously to uh, to to do what they can to help people who are afflicted by this disease. We think of um, you know many examples of of parents who are uh, taking care of their kids in a different way now that school's out and all that kind of stuff. Um, we think of the fact that we have the opportunity to practice patience, to practice all these things uh, in our lives, even something as simple as um, making sure that we're not hoarding things, um, because that takes away something that's due to our brother or sister. You know, so, so all of the virtues um, and the vices that we've been talking about, they ultimately lead us to love our brothers and sisters more, and uh, that's that's an expression of our love for God. Um, Christ teaches us, and he's the man of virtue ultimately, because he is the one who is perfectly charitable. All these virtues lead us to charity. And by getting rid of the vices that we've been talking about, we actually become more and more like Christ. So just a word of encouragement to keep practicing virtue, even in difficult times such as these. And uh, also to know that uh, the seminarians are praying for you um, and uh, just that we can hold each other in charity, even if we can't be, um, you know, in if we have to be, in, even though we have to be in isolation from one another, uh, socially speaking, or at least um, spatially speaking, uh, we can still hold one another in prayer. And within our families, we can really practice virtue at this point. I hope you enjoy the show, and we're praying for you. Welcome to Excess and Defect 2020, a Linton podcast series on the vices and virtues. I'm Deacon Will Rooney, and today I'm joined by two of my fellow Austin seminarians. Y'all want to introduce yourself, guys? I am Antonio Aviles Jr., and I'm Lad. Awesome. We're glad you're here, Lad. Thank you. Deacon. Is that the first time you've ever heard that joke? Deacon Will. Glad, lad. Lad, we are glad. Because it rhymes. That was a joke. 
Well, okay, yes, it was a joke. It was a feeble <laughs> attempt at humor. I'm sorry. I've been working on that virtue Ooh, for man. a long time. Otherwise um, called a pun. Yeah. My mother... Uh, I don't think it was even a pun. It was just, it's just two it words that happened it to wasn't rhyme. This was supposed to be punny, but it wasn't punny. It's yeah. true. My mother... Uh, this is a true story. Okay, okay. What I'm about to tell you is true in the words of Father James Misko. Uh, Shout out, Father James Misko. Vicar General. He. So my mother... Every day she would be like, "We'll have a sense of humor." She literally oh during middle God. school, like That's for savage. No, 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 no. dude. It, it, it was because like I I took everything so seriously. <laughs> you guys can't imagine that, right? Like that I take something seriously. Nope. Uh, so <laughs> such a lie. Uh, so I, but literally, she would say that almost every day when she she said two things to me, and uh, two things that I always remember, and I think they're really great advice. Uh, have a sense of humor. An S of H is what she would call it sometimes. Have an S of H. An S of H. And then uh, don't let anyone steal your joy. Mm. Those were the two pieces of advice. Anyway, back to uh, our topic for today. Uh, we're talking about the vice of avarice. The vice of avarice, uh, better known as greediness or a disordered love for material things. So, uh, what's the name of this episode? Oh, the name of the episode. Yes, I'm sorry. I have to, you know, like the creative committee went to so much effort to generate these names. We have to give them their due moment in the spotlight. You're right. We do. We should. We ought to. Uh, the name of this episode is All That Glitters Is Not Gold. All That Glitters Is Not Gold. All That Glitters what's Is that Not a Gold. To? It's from Shakespeare. Is it really? Yeah. That's right. What, what, We'll great, play. great question. Got to ask my creative committee. <laughs> I didn't inquire further. Retreated <laughs> to Shakespeare, and uh, I like the title. This is the problem with being in like a, a liberal arts s school. Is there's people who just know this stuff and they just know it by memory, and it's just like yeah, yeah it's I, just I, in them. I don't remember where I heard it. I remember I heard it sometime between yeah. the past twenty and the past ten years ago, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool actually. I, I mean, honestly, when you think about it, yeah. but it's just yeah. imbued in someone's. Uh, mind. I hope I can get to that point with like theology. It's like movie quotes, but like far more consequential. <laughs> far more. <laughs> yeah. Some movie quotes are quite good, though. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's not a that's not a slam against movie quotes, but no. Okay, so uh, avarice. So uh, what what is avarice? What are we doing here? Greed. Greed. Yes. Now what? So what is greed? Mm. We're gonna go platonic on you. <laughs> Socratic method. This is this uh, Socratic dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Avarice. So, and I promise I'm not looking at any kind of notes here. This is me shooting from the hip, so I could be totally off. In which case, call me. Um, I would say Vlad Spears' definition of avarice is, it's like putting undue emphasis, priority, weight, undue, attributing undue uh, importance to material goods. Okay, so how's that like actually seen in practice today? Hmm. What's that look like? You know, I'm thinking of like... Like the unquenchable desire to make money at the expense of relationships with people, at the expense of what is your own good, at the expense of your own faith. Like this unquenchable desire to acquire. And I said money because that just, you know, in currency is the means by which we procure other material goods. But it could extend beyond just money. It could be some other kind of material good that you have just like this undying and unquenchable desire to attain at the expense of other higher goods. At the expense of other higher goods. I think that's there's something uh, 
there's something you gotta you gotta have that there, right? Because the goods of the earth are good, and they're there for us to be used. But we can fall into kind of a uh, a excess love, right? So this is we talk about excess and defect. This is an excess of love for material goods and a defect of love for the things that really matter. That's kind of where avarice sits uh, as a vice. Um, maybe it looks like uh, in different in different people. Um, some of the things I was thinking about, just like or that were in, in uh, glittering vices when I was reading, um, it can look like um, miserliness, right? So you think of like the Ebenezer Scrooge character. He's so concerned about money that he forgets about the people who are working for him. And that entire story of A Christmas Carol, another thing, another gift that my mother uh, gave to me is making me watch The Christmas Carol story a few times, uh, is uh, he forgets about... Mr. Cratchit, right, and his family, and the fact that he's got to live, um, and even Scrooge himself becomes miserable because he's a miser. Um, and then another way to to think about it, um, so that's like the acquisition of money, as you mentioned, but also the acquisition of stuff, things, right, beyond uh, what is necessary for us. So, how does this vice of avarice relate to the vice of uh, or to the kind of the main vice of pride. My uneducated decision, or not de decision, definition of that would probably be um, you believing that you yourself can satisfy yourself. Hmm. So you are prideful to the point, or it's a type of pride of where you believe you can satisfy yourself with just the material things or with money or with whatever obsession you may have. Yeah. So like grabbing after things. So this, I mean, there's that that sense of like, I've got to get these things so that I will be happy, mm -hmm. and I have to be the one to get them. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think, mm, yeah, like the um, the notion, my happiness lies in me alone. Like uh, maybe that's where the pride comes from. It's like it it's my happiness lies within myself. Mm -hmm. And nobody else. I mean, which is yeah. So that, that, that's that's essentially what you were saying, Tony. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that? Uh, well, well I, I don't think that the happiness lies within myself. Is what I was saying. But that that my I can make myself happy through material things. I myself can gather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah. I think what you said is basically what pride is mm. all the time. Yeah. Or more or less, yeah. right? We could talk. Yeah. We talk about pride as a, a disordered desire for excellence. Uh, but we really, it kind of, it's like a turning in on ourselves. Like mm -hmm. uh, Augustine has this wonderful phrase, incurvatus in se. And he says that all sin is incurvatus in se. That means that it's curved in, our, in ourselves, right? Whenever we sin, we're, we're curved in on ourselves. Um, and so pride is kind of that uh, being curved in on ourselves all the time. Um, and that takes different expressions, right? The, it's almost like pride is that, and then the each of the other capital vices that we've been talking about is kind of the result of that, yeah. right? So you think about like avarice is, well, I'm curved in on myself. So what do I, if I'm the one who has to get everything for me to be self-sufficient, for me to be happy, then I can turn towards material things as the source of my happiness, right? Because I'm a creature that's totally made for relationship. I mean, that's, that's kind of the genius of, um, of John Paul II and of many other um, 
I mean, many other theologians throughout the century, but most particularly Ratzinger or Pope Benedict XVI and St. John Paul II, is they've, they recognize that we're creatures who are made for relationship with God. And so all of the vices kind of turn us away from relationship with God and put something in place of God. Uh, so um, you, you th- and they can do that in different ways, right? Avarice and, and uh, lust and gluttony in particular put something material or perhaps something that borders on spiritual in the case of like lust uh, in the place of God, right? So in avarice, it, we grab after something that's good, but is material, right? In gluttony, we grab after something that's good and that is good for us, but is material. And then in lust, we grab after another person who's not God, which is good, who is good, but is not God and is not the, the, the source of our end, right? So whenever we are turned in on ourselves, we have this natural tendency to uh, then kind of break out of ourself, but not towards God. If we reject God, we'll place something else, some other idol in his place, basically, is mm-hmm. kind of what, what I would say. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's John Paul II um, is quoted by de Young uh, in, in Glittering Vices, which is kind of the book that we've been using to, to structure some of our talks here. Um, in... in Evangelium Vitae, which is a document about um, the gospel of life, uh, he talks about how this sense of materialism is related to pride because the values of being someone are replaced by the value of having, mm. right? Yeah. Of having something. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I find that really striking. Like I find that a really good kind of... Uh, a description of the danger of pride um, that, I'm sorry, of uh, avarice, because it's like I get defined by what stuff I have, uh, the things that I, you know, the mo- amount of money that I have in my bank account or the, the stuff that I have. And, and not even you get defined, but precisely because, I mean, if you, if you possess the vice of avarice, not only do you get defined, you define yeah. yourself and, yeah. and others, right? Like that's the, the condition of defining yourself and others by what material goods they possess. Yeah. No, I think that's ex- precisely the, the thing, right? Like, and it's a false definition of ourselves. And it's, so it ultimately leads to not to flourishing, but as all vices to unhappiness. How does this relate to being an excess of, or a defect of love? What is, how, how would we frame that kind of idea? Well, the problem is you can define it under both because the excess of love would be that you're placing too much love in material things. Taking too much joy in material things. Right, you're taking too much joy in material things and trying to satisfy the deeper desire of love Mm -hmm. um, using just material things. Uh, But on the flip side, it could be the, the defect of love because it's you're missing what love is. And by misunderstanding it, you aren't giving it nor receiving it. I, I don't know so much that I would agree that it's a, it's a question of excess or defect of love. I don't know if it's a question of degree as so much as it is a question of the object 
of love? Like what is what is the thing that is loved? Mm-hmm. Is it is it the material in itself? Or is it the good that the material brings about or enables you to do? If the object of the love is the material itself, that's where I think we begin to stray into avarice. Mm-hmm. So I think it, I think it's less a question of degree, more question of um, like the object. Uh, right, and and I wasn't trying to make the, the argument of the degree uh, because, like, well, I should be the first one to talk. Uh, Y'all have seen my room. I have stuff. <laughs> we all have stuff. <laughs> right. And just because right. like you're a pack rat doesn't mean mean you're necessarily avaricious, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right. Uh, uh, and and one thing I see it as, um, I have a lot of tools, and those tools, it's not because I find joy in them or that I'm proud of them or anything, but it's that they provide a a utility that I can share with others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like just before this podcast, I actually lent out my socket set to someone else so that way they can work on their car. We're literally using a microphone right now that Antonio brought from him. <laughs> so, I mean, like, and, and say, don't forget that he saved us on the previous episode yeah. with the backup mic <laughs> the that back. he brought as well. Yes, this is also yeah. true. So, so, okay, but this brings us to a really good point, right? Mm-hmm. Having things is not the problem. No. Right. right. It, it, it's the use of things, and whenever the things themselves... Uh, become the end of the thing instead of the means by which we get to the end of the thing of, the thing. of, of, of our life, of yeah. Our life yeah. or love right if, if objects become the ends for which we are doing everything rather than loving people that's the that's when we know for certain we've become avaricious right um, when I don't want to give up you know something because I because I, it's like something that I don't even need, but I just want to keep it because you know it's mine. Right? That's that's a, a sign of avarice. You know, that I don't want to give it to this person who could actually actually use it. Right? Or um, you know, it just I just think of all the stuff that that I have. Right? I, but I try and ask myself like when I keep when I have something, like do do I use this? Is it like an actual thing that that brings uh, that furthers um, the the mission of my life, which for me it's it looks different than for a parent, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's because I mean you've got nephews, I have nephews, my brother and sister in law, both of my brothers and sisters in law, they have to have way more stuff than I do because they need like diapers and they need a crib and they need all this stuff for their baby and. Uh, and they need a, a, a baby monitor and that kind of thing, you know, like that kind of stuff. Whereas I don't need that stuff because it's not part of my vocation. But I have, a, you know, a ton of books, <laughs> you know, because there's a certain uh, necessity for me to, to learn. Right. And, and that's a good thing that I am able to do that. Um, and, and so it's going to look different for, for different people. But um, I do think that we tend, especially in our American kind of milieu or, or American culture that to to overestimate what we actually need to overestimate like what's a need versus what's a want versus what's a luxury you know like when the when there's people on the street who don't have food or um, or you know whatever and it can for a, a variety of reasons people are on are homeless right sometimes. They're sometimes 
legitimately people are choosing right to, to do that but a lot of times there's there's a lot of backstory there that you, we just don't know unless we ever encounter them um, but you know if I'm so attached to my money that I can't buy someone a sandwich you know like what does that what does that say about kind of I don't know I it, this is hard for me right because uh, you know I I've been blessed, right? And I think we've all been blessed in this room to have families who were able to provide for us. And we never lived in abject poverty, right? I mean, we're from different, different, you know, places in the world um, and different, you know, different families, certainly, but not poverty, poverty, where we didn't know where our next food was coming from. Um, so, um, but it is a, it's a question that I think that we, we ought to ask ourselves because um, the things that we have are supposed to be ordered towards the common good, like you said, mm-hmm. right? Like you have tools that you can use to help people. And money has to be that. It has to be a, money or anything that we have has to be a tool for us to use. Um, but it's, a really, it's really easy for it to just be used for, for me right? Mm-hmm. right and I think that that's whenever the um, the avarice starts because uh, and and well the core being pride because it is what I can get out of it not what the good it can provide or be used for yeah but uh, it's a whenever it's so focused on the I of what I can get what I want what I choose in that in that way yeah. So I'll play devil's advocate. Yeah, go here. for it. Sorry. Go for it. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I think this is good. I'm going to play devil's advocate. So, you know, what about the contention? Like, hey, listen, you know, like I earned this money. Like I put in the work. You know, I got up at 430 in the morning and and worked till um, 6 p.m., you know, five days a week for the last 22 years. And like that's how I was able to amass this amount of wealth yeah. and these these material possessions and is everybody else doing that you know are these people are other people doing that like why should like why am i not entitled to enjoy the fruit of my labor you know like that's that you know when i think about it like that would be the retort so no say, i think that that's know. a great retort because <laughs> it appeals to my like you know? capitalistic sense of of justice right which it is just right the, the, i mean even the uh, Paul says the laborer deserves his wages. Mm-hmm. One who, like, you shouldn't muzzle, uh, I think Christ, actually, that might have been Jesus. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is bad. Uh, the laborer deserves his wages. I get confused sometimes. Paul was imitating Jesus. It, it's okay. Uh, but the, the point being that we, we do, there, there's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, I worked hard for this stuff and, um, you know, you, to enjoy something, but um, but I think you know, I think we have to look at where things go, and we also have to look at the fact that the the ability that we have to even do the things that earn us money is not it, it's it's not something that we uh, we made ourselves. Right? There's I remember uh, Father James Misko giving a homily one time, and he said. Um, there is no such thing as a self-made man. Like that's the American dream, right? Is I'm gonna go from from here, you know, the the you know the all-American boy, 
you know, he grows up and he just he makes it. He becomes the CEO of the of the Fortune 500 company. He's got everything, right? But the reality is, someone took care of that kid when he was one years old. Someone, you know, brought that kid into the world. He, in the words of Saint Paul, "What have I that I have not received?" Because even the ability to work is a gift of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have private property. That doesn't mean any of those things. But I think that we have to change our mindset to one of stewardship rather than uh, rather than um, kind of just ownership. Right. Uh, well, one thing as you were talking that I was thinking about was uh, what today's reading uh, about Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay, so as Father Vincent was saying in his homily uh, today, it isn't the problem that the rich man is rich, is that he d- does not have compassion on those who are not rich or those who need. Uh, Father Vincent was saying, you know, if, if the rich man was able to help Lazarus, uh, if he were to give him food, if he were to try to help him meet his minimum ends or needs, uh, and not saying that that Lazarus needs to be rich himself as well to be saved, or that the rich man needs to be poor to be saved, but that to be, as you were saying, just stewards of what you have been given and what you have been allowed to receive, right. what you've been allowed to work for. Because the problem with the, the rich man wasn't, right, as you said, he did, it's not that he had wealth, and it's not that, I mean, maybe he earned that wealth. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, yeah. he, like, legitimately came by that, or maybe he inherited it. Those are both legitimate ways to have things. Mm-hmm. But... The problem is his wealth became uh, a, a set of – it's like a blindfold. He didn't even – right? Like uh, he, he walked past this man every time he walked into his estate and he didn't even pay him attention when the dogs were paying attention to the man. Mm-hmm. Right? Think of that. Think of the difference. Like that. I think I remember reading that in a commentary at some point about that that gospel passage. Right, right. And there's two views on that uh, of where the dogs were either either punishing Lazarus by by licking his sores, or that well, in turn, because there's now a modern understanding of science, but also historically people understood that dog saliva has an innate ability to like. Oh, it like heals. heals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And stuff. I don't know if that's true, but but there, I think that there's something to that, right? That that the dogs, like animals, they took more notice of him than the rich. Yeah, people. regardless of yeah. anything else. No, I think that that's that it's a, it adds some something there, Antonio. That that it's just uh, like the dogs paid attention to this man before the rich man paid attention mm-hmm. to this yeah. man. Yeah. And how much good could the rich man have done if he had said, "Hey, Lazarus, here's." Here's food, right? Or, hey, here's food, and I want to sit down and talk to you for a little while and just pay attention to you and see where you're coming from and see how I can actually be charitable to you. Yeah. And I, there's like a vocational aspect to it, I think, as well. Like someone who has a lot of money to recognize recognize the great gift and the great um, capability that God has given to a rich person. Like, like their power to positively impact and affect other people for the good. Um, quite frankly, like someone who who has a lot of money, who has worked really hard and has has earned that money, you know, um, they have a very high potential to positively affect a lot of other people in a, in a way that someone else with less money, you know, it's a different kind of way. Yeah, it's. 
It, it, there, there's a capability there yeah. that's God-given. And so there's like a vocational aspect, right, that God has like specifically called this person by granting them through their innate skills, through their work ethic, through the circumstances of their life, whatever the, you know, the, the combination of variables may be, has made it such that they may come into possession of great wealth and may thereby benefit a large Other number people. of people yeah. around them. Yeah, and I think that there's something, um, there, there's a quote from Thomas Aquinas uh, that he said, uh, God gives some, some people, excess riches that they might be generous. God gives some excess riches that they might be generous. Right, so, so this is the idea that, um, that while we certainly have a right to private property and things like that, that the goods that we have are ordered towards the common good. So if, if you don't need something, uh, you need to look really hard. Like, what's the best use of that money for the common good? And that, honestly, that could be putting it, like, to grow in, in, a, in a mutual fund, right? Like, or it could be that, I, for example, I have to save money for retirement as a priest, right? We're, yeah. And that's a, that is a good thing because by me saving money, I'm uh, helping the church, right? The common good in the future because then they won't have to pay, right? To upkeep Father Will Rooney when he is old, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it could be growing that corpus of money such that you can start a company and and thereby could, yeah. employ people employ as a people, as a right. just as a just business owner who pays people a fair living wage. It know? is right, yeah. but it also I think that there is also a, a component to keep us um, to keep us grounded in that generosity and love of God. I think that there has to be also like a, a component of giving money away, right? Like giving. It's sacrificial giving, right? Isn't this like precisely like the spiritual benefit of of tithing, of like why we give to the, like, this is precisely, I think, spiritually speaking, certainly from a practical perspective, we got to keep the doors and the, open and the lights on and things like that. But there's like, that's why almsgiving has such a strong spiritual component, yeah. right? This very thing that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, but that's always from a, a, a attitude of, I hate saying this, an attitude of gratitude, right? Like, uh, <laughs> sorry, but no, but seriously, if we recognize that everything that we have is not ours, but is actually God's, uh, and he's the Lord of our, of our life and therefore the Lord of our money, um, then we are able to really Say, okay, Lord, this is all your money, and I get the use of it, and I'm really grateful for that. So uh, help me to, to put it the way that you want me to put it, right? Help me to use it in the way that you want me to use it. Um, so, so what does that look like, practically speaking? And, and actually, the, the church has been pretty, um, church tradition has been kind of clear about this. Um, for example, when Augustine and uh, Aquinas uh, kind of talk about, like, what is necessary for us to keep? What, is, what should we give away? How should we apportion things? Um, one author, DeYoung, talks about how uh, when, it, when they say that the needs of this life, whether in the context of food or money, they emphasize not just what is necessary for bare subsistence, but also what's necessary for living a life becoming or appropriate to human beings. The point isn't to live on crusts of bread with bare walls and threadbare clothes. The point is that a fully human life is lived in a way free from being enslaved to our stuff. So that we hold on to things, but we hold on to them lightly, in the words of Bishop Robert Barron. That it's just like, 
okay, yeah, I have this money and I'm going to use it and I'm going to be a good steward of it and all those things, but I'm also not going to hold on to it so tightly. I'm not going to be, my life is not going to be concerned with riches. Um, and so we have to give away or we ought to give away some portion of our money. We ought to think about how we use the rest of it because it's all God's money. It's, I mean, that's, that's ultimately where this is, is everything that is is God's and we need to use it for his purposes, which is love of uh, neighbor and love of, love of him. Right. So, um, so generosity is really the contrary virtue to, to greediness or to avarice. Yeah, just don't be stingy. Don't be stingy, right? When you're when you're able to give, and you and there's an opportunity presents itself, ask the Lord, and then err on the side of giving. That's kind of the like because we tend not to want to give. Uh, right, and and I, I don't remember where it said, but to give with an open hand. Yeah. Uh, the, the entire idea. The Lord of, loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. Open handed, he gives to the poor. Mm-hmm. That's in Sunday week one of. Evening prayer, yeah. uh, right? And the and the, and the entire idea is we don't hold on to something and allow someone to grab only so much. Mm. Uh, so of whatever we're we're willing to give or offer, we offer it, yeah, um, without reservation. Yep. So if we want to offer someone food, we don't restrict them to just just canned spinach and that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if you know, there are people too. They need food. Yeah. And we give our best story. Right. It was kind of what you're... Right, you're right. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's what I'm trying to uh, get at. That of whatever we want, we should also give to others because what we want, there's something good in that. Yeah. Even uh, of whatever view uh, we look at of how of what kind of good it is, there's something in any that calls to it that we should be able to share with others. Right. And in doing so, we, we imitate God. Right, who gave himself? Who gives himself completely? And we show that we're not uh, we're not consumed by by riches. We're not consumed by these things, but rather we recognize their true dignity, their true value in in being things that are created by God as goods for our use um, and for the use of all stuff. Um, so the uh, we said the the generosity. So being generous. Um, now we need to be prudent about how we do this. Yeah, right. Right. Prudence, like, is the is like the sum of all of the virtues. It, yeah, and, and like the prudence is is the method by which we determine that mean that we've been talking about exactly. for all of these. Right, because you could <laughs> fall into what is called uh, here's here's a, another word for us a prodigality. Prodigality. Mm-hmm. Prodigality means uh, overgiving, mm-hmm. right? Like. Yeah. yeah, like giving. So if you're the father of a family and you give away everything that you're all of this, the money in your savings account, right? That's not a good thing. That's actually there's something disordered about that because you are obliged in justice to take care of your family first. Right. In charity and in justice. You're like those people are the first people you sh- you ought to take care of. Now, of course, that means you should also be giving and teaching them to give generously. But like, if you can't put food on the table, you you need like we have to you know say okay, maybe you're giving too much in this situation. Right. Uh, well, one way that well, one thing that I've heard a lot uh, in my time in seminary is is go is give from the overflowing excess. Don't give or don't pull 
from the reserves. Because once you run out of yeah. there, what's going to fill the necessity? Uh, what's going to fill what you need first? And the entire understanding is don't overwork yourself or over overburden yourself yeah. in in the parish with every single everything that could possibly happen to the point of where you can't give yourself into what you are committing into. Right. So you're talking about time and, and, and right things now. like that. And I think that that is a, definitely a part of avarice, right? Like we can be avaricious with our time. True. Yeah. Uh, not just with our money. We've talked a lot about money, but that you bring up a good point. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's a delicate balance because we – we're called not just to give out of our, the, the thing that I, that popped into my head as soon as you said that is excess, right? Like, well, we're called to give sacrificially. Mm -hmm. So that means that it, it, because only a sacrificial gift really imitates Christ. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I see someone on the side of the road and I give them $5, I, don't, don't get me wrong. Like $5 is enough to go buy me a nice uh, Subway sandwich or something like that. But it's not really hurting. Like it doesn't, it's not that much of a sacrifice for me to give that person five dollars, right? It, um, so what what does it look like to give sacrificially, though? Because there's something there's something about that, and I think I, if I'm understanding kind of the thought of the fathers and Thomas on this, um, that if we're gonna err, if we're gonna err, we should err on the side of prodigality rather than on the side of miserliness, miserliness. right? Because there's there's something about like I mean you even think about like the prodigal son, mm -hmm. right? Which is really should be called the prodigal father, because it's the it's the I mean the the son spends freely, but the father gives himself completely, and he he gives everything, and that's what makes him kind of a prodigal father, quote unquote. You asked the question, Deacon Will, like what makes sacrificial giving sacrificial? Yeah, I mean I think by the just. By the very nature and definition of the term itself, sacrificial giving is some kind of gift that is going to require you to forgo or deprive you of some good that you would have otherwise had or had access to had you not given the gift. Like you're foregoing some good yeah. uh, on your own part for the sake of the gift. I mean, that, that's the definition yeah. of, of sacrifice. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think of like uh, when you give someone up for Lent, right? If, let's say I give up um, ice cream. I take the money that I would have used for ice cream and, that, and I give that away. So literally there's like a, a specific sacrifice that's yeah. going on there. But and I think that there, that's helpful, right? Like there's a helpfulness to, to saying I'm going to give up X in order to give that to something else. Because it really it places a um, – it places us in front of us. So uh, practically speaking, right, gratitude's number one in overcoming this, right, recognizing that we're stewards, not owners, not complete owners. Um, recognizing that those, the gifts that we have are ordered towards the common good, period, right? Like everything is ordered towards the common good. Um, and then very getting even more practical, right? Literally looking at our budget. Yeah. And if we don't have a budget, taking time to actually look at where we spend money and creating some sort of budget. That's a part of being a good steward and figuring out how much we give away now and how, if that's sacrificial or not, right? If it's actually, um, 
you know, are we generous, right? And that doesn't mean we have to give like a certain amount, right? Some people say like 1%, 2%, 3%, 10%, right? I, I hesitate to like say like you should give this amount of money away. No, I think – I mean I think that if you need – if a rule of thumb was to be given, right, 5% or 10% is not a bad rule of thumb. But it's more about what – what does it do? Like is it is it helping you to be detached from from the things, right? Are you able to, to give away – give things freely? Um, yeah. So I – I want to kind of finish with this quote because it's pretty – it's kind of uh, crazy to me. And it's something that it always like hits me in the heart and it challenges me. He said Leo the Thirteenth. He was the pope. He wrote Rerum Novarum. Oh, yeah. And he said, once the demands of necessity and propriety are met, the rest of our wealth belongs to the poor. The rest of our wealth belongs to the poor. Necessity and propriety. Yeah. So, I mean, that just mean, it means like I can eat, I can, you know, do the things that I need to do, but also I, you know, if I'm the Pope, for example, uh, you know, like I can do the things that the Pope has to do and like that's what propriety means or like if, I, if I'm if i a father or mother, I'm able to welcome people into my home because I have a home, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and h- hence therein enters prudence yeah exactly making that making the concrete like you have the principle of propriety but then you got to make some like particular judgments about is this thing Necessary. in according in accordance with propriety yeah. is this thing in accordance with propriety and there therein lies the prudence yeah which i mean i i find that that's a good examination of conscience for me on a regular basis is um you know people I'm super grateful, and y'all are y'all are gonna experience this if you haven't already. People are very generous with us as seminarians and as priests, and to use that stuff well. I mean, I'm using an iPad right now that was completely given to me. I didn't pay anything for it, and uh, the same thing for yeah, years. Yeah, same thing my iPad. Really? Yeah. It, it was a gift as well. And so, like, but how do I use those things? Is it wrong for me to have the iPad? No, because I use it for school. Like I use it for the, the glory of God. But if I am ever, if I ever become so attached to the iPad that I'm like, I got to have the next iPad. I got to have the next one because it's right. Like, and just because it is not because this one's bad or, or something like that. Um, I have to, I have to take a look at that and say, Lord, where's my heart? Like, what am I doing with this stuff? Um, Maybe we just finish up by reading a little uh, of St. Paul's words about, um, about riches and stuff like that. This is from 1 Timothy. For we brought nothing into the world just as we shall not be able to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we shall be content with that. Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils, and some people, in their desire for it, have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. So it's just an invitation this week to examine ourselves um, and to determine how we're attached to things and to give away that which we don't really need uh, and with a generous heart so that we can be like God who is generous to us. All right, so that's all the time we have for Excess and Defect this week. Uh, Thanks for listening. And if you uh, 
enjoyed this podcast, if it was helpful for you, we'd appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and your family uh, so that they can also benefit from it. Thanks for praying for you and have a great week. Peace. The snare of the fowler will never capture you. Na 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 na. Poor KY lad. Poor KY. <laughs> I love bilingual humor. You know, hang Let on. Let me reset hang. my timer again. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the fourth time. Uh, yeah. yeah.